0: Uh, Daniel chapter one. I'm going to read a few verses in Daniel chapter one. I'm not going to start there though. I'm going to I'm going to do a little introduction here today. Today's message is uh, it's, it's in some way a corrective message, a message that biblically must correct some false teaching that's been going around, a false assumption, maybe maybe less than false teaching. Um, The title of this is, What's Wrong with the Blame Game? The Blame Game. Human beings are great. We're we're skilled at blaming. We're skilled at it. We don't even go to school for it. We don't take any training in it. We don't, I don't know where your kid gets. Your three-year-old kid's already got, I mean, uh, wheelbarrow. He's, uh, He's what, four years old now? Wheelbarrow blames Owen. Well, it's Owen's fault. And Owen blames a girl, whatever her name is. What is her name? I'm still trying to get over it. He didn't have another boy. But anyway. We live in a world that points fingers, man. It is a finger-pointing world. And I want to talk about why that's not biblical. And as born-again Christians, we need to be different we need to be biblical and if you know the Bible much and why it's important to know the Bible from cover to cover at least read it over and over and over again let it let it absorb into your mind let it wash over your mind and get rid of the erroneous worldviews that are out there and there's hundreds of them and get a biblical worldview. I'm going to give you some examples of blaming. Some dear folks come into my office, and I know it's hard to believe this, but they come into my office, they're disgruntled with their spouse. Can you imagine that? Somebody coming in wanted to talk to me about being disgruntled with their spouse. They spend, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes character assassinating their spouse which I don't even know that well, or sometimes don't know at all. And they tell me, you know, the flaws of their spouse, how hideous. Can you believe he wears a T-shirt to bed? Of course, what she don't know is I wear a T-shirt to bed too, but nevertheless, (laughs) can you believe he wears socks to bed? I can't stand it. I mean, of course, she don't know that I don't wear socks, so I'm good on that one. But uh, after a few minutes of this, I listen, carefully listen to all the flaws, make some notes. Um, I begin to attempt to turn the conversation around to whether it be he or him or make any difference to that person and try to ask them what they have done in the marriage to contribute to the problem that is at hand, and and or maybe to heal the problem is at hand. That is at hand. There, that's being explained to me, and I hate to say this, but all of a sudden it gets real quiet, and there's not much to be said. And they have, a, they have. Where before they were prolific on their words, now they have very little to. Oh, may they may be able to think of one thing, two things. Maybe they contributed somehow to this problem, of this spouse. Let me explain the blame syndrome. The more one can put responsibility for the trouble on someone else, the lighter the load is on you. Why do we like to blame is because we like to be comfortable. And when something's wrong, it makes you uncomfortable. And if you can blame that wrong or that feeling or that trouble on someone else somewhere around you, some circumstance that makes you simply feel better because it's very uncomfortable for you and I to focus on what we are doing wrong. Uh, It's really, if I may say, even depressing uh, knowing that we actually did some things that were wrong and it's much easier to blame someone else or circumstances around us. Go back to this marriage counseling situation. Uh, the question on a marriage, and you met, how many of you married say amen? Amen. Is either party in a marriage perfect? And your answer is no. Is, they were before you got married. You don't have to leave, Jimmy. It's not that bad, man. Hey, Red, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He was not the one I was talking about. <laughs> so I love Jimmy, I do. I only could do that if I knew he was a good friend of mine, or he was. <laughs> so they were perfect before you got married. You couldn't find a, a flaw in them and then you went to the altar and got married. About a year later, the lists began. Tear your list up. Don't keep a list on somebody. I've had people come to my office and, and without a piece of paper or notepad, list ten things wrong with me. I didn't know I had that many things wrong with me. And after they got done, I said, Where's your list? How'd you know those 10 things? They've been going over over them and 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 over them. That's what bitterness is all about, amen? I said, my, 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 my. It's uncomfortable. But neither party is perfect in a marriage. Either party is either party doing all they can do to make it happen for the good. In other words, are you contributing everything you know to contribute to make your marriage? And this can be not just marriage, but friendship or anything. Uh, what it ought to be. James chapter four verse seventeen says, "Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin." So, from that, I would have to say, in any marriage, there is no such thing as an innocent party, and you're not going to like that. Because boy, I hear the innocent party thing often. Now, I get it. I get it that there are more contribution and less contribution. You know, one to ten person. A person goes off and with another uh, breaks her wedding vow and commits adultery. Uh, obviously, heavily contributing to the destruction of the marriage. This other mate did not do that, but you can't say this other mate is an innocent party because they could have done some things that would have prevented that, but they didn't do them. And he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it's sin. Are you with me? Nobody has done everything they're supposed to do. Nobody. We struggle in that area. We're commanded to do good, not just not to do wrong. Hebrews 13, 16 says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I'm a little weary of the teaching that's being, out there and being lectured on, written on, publicized on Christian parenting. You have a philosophy out there that uh, bad children are produced because parents are bad or something was wrong with the parents. That's why the child came out the way they did. Christian parents all across the country are receiving tons of guilt for producing rebellious teenagers or lukewarm children, for Christ at least, young adults for Jesus. Uh, and I have, to, I have to ask this question: Are we believers in biblical personal responsibility? Or are we believers in circumstantial psychology? which is the world's most favored way, most favored philosophy of psychology. It was called circumstantial psychology or conditioning. Do we believe in conditioning? Now, I'm going to tell you, I've heard parents that say they're born again and believe in personal responsibility, which is a biblical teaching. Everybody in this room is going to stand accountable for God alone. And I'll guarantee you the judgment of Christ as a born-again believer, you're not going to point a finger to your preacher, to the deacons, to the church, to your wife, to your relatives, to your outlaws, no one. You are going to take full heat for the decisions you are making. Let's just get it real clear. Amen. You're not going to be able to say, but if I had a better wife, I'd have turned out. Or if I had a better husband, I'd have turned out. If I'd have had a better mom and dad, I'd have turned out. If I'd have had better circumstances, I'd have turned out. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And you'll see more clearly why in a minute. You see, if we as Christian parents can, with the correct conditions and atmosphere, create a predictable end then we are believers in what could be called classical conditioning. This would raise some serious biblical problems if classical conditioning is true. Now, there is some truth in it, but it's not really totally true. Are we products of our environment? Question. With this in mind, let me ask a logical question here this morning. If a person were raised in a perfectly balanced and flawless environment where the parents were transparent, perfect examples of Jesus' love and virtues, and where the influences, where the influences of the world were zero, and the peers were all positive, perfect Christian examples, would the child come out a on fire Christian, wholly dedicated to God with his or her heart? You're sitting there with an answer, right? Yes or no? I hope you come up with no. No, not necessarily. Why? Well, if you think about the Garden of Eden, I just described it. Who were Adam and Eve's mom and dad? And mom, really. I preach on the motherhood of God. He's both man and mother and and father. Who were they? It was was God. The environment then was perfect. And they turned out real bad. Real bad. Uh, But what about the millennium? In the millennium, we have a thousand years of Christ's rule and reign. Uh, The curse of the earth is going to be pulled back. And uh, righteousness is going to cover the earth as the uh, waters cover the sea, the Bible says. There's, by the way, there's a lot in the Bible on the millennial period, that 1,000 years of Christ's rule and reign, where, where we, uh, as born-again Christians, as in our eternal redeemed body, are in management positions in that, in that situation. And there are people that are like us, that are in mortal bodies, and, and 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 by the way, even that's changed some because the Bible says when somebody dies in the millennium, 100 years old, they'll be they'll be considered a child. So the millennium's a thousand years, and there may be people going back like Adam and Eve, uh, and Methuselah. Methuselah died at 965. There may be people that span the entire millennium period that literally live the entire millennium period. But what happens at the end of the millennial period? Perfect situation, perfect environment, beautiful teaching, no bad influence. Everybody doing what they're supposed to pretty much be doing. What happens when Satan's released? He gathers a massive crowd of people who turn against Jesus Christ, who take for granted their situation, and eventually he has to destroy them. Now, why, did it, why, did it, why are these in the Bible? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they're written in our, for our admonition, unto whom the ends of the world are come. So what I've just mentioned is in the Bible, because we're supposed to learn from those things, that circumstantial psychology is false, and conditioning is false. Now, don't quote me a situation where it worked because an exception does not make a rule. You got that? An exception does not. I know somebody, mom and dad were beautiful Christians and they turned out wonderful Christians. Quit it. For every one of them, you can quote me, I'll quote you 10. Mom and dad were godly people, loved Jesus, and did everything they knew to do, and their kids turned out like the devil or one or two of their kids did, or, or one out of three did, or, or two out of five. How many of those you know? Well, I, I bet every one of you knows somebody with a born-again family who's got a homosexual child, or a transgender child, or a transvestite child. parent didn't want that. parent did everything they knew to prevent that from happening. So what is the answer for all that? I'm glad you asked that question. Let's go to our text, which explains it. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, under Jerusalem, and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand a part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried in the land of Shinar, and the house of his God, which was a gold... Babylon worshipped gold as God and that kind of thing. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs. And I want you to circle that. Master of his eunuchs. Uh, a eunuch is unique. That he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed of the princes. What an amount to. two. They went into Israel, burned everything down, flattened a city, and killed everybody almost. But kept a few of the people for their own benefit. And the children in whom there's no blemish were well favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning and knowledge, understanding science, and such had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of wine, which he drank, so nourishing them three years. But at the end of thereof, they might stand before the king. Now among them were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That were their Hebrew names. But they, at insult upon injury, with all the bad things that happened to them boys, they gave them heathen names. And of the prince of the eunuchs, gave names, and notice that prince of the eunuchs had control over them, and that's because they were eunuchs. And he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's what most people know them by. But this is the text verse in verse 8 and 9. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. First of all, we're talking about Daniel, one of the greatest considered one of the greatest godly people in the entire Old Testament. You have Moses, you have Abraham. You have Joseph, and you have Daniel. Those are great men of God that love God and want to do right. Would you not agree? Uh, he's in that group. Uh, this man had everything against him. Would you not agree? He had everything against him. I mean, could you get worse circumstances? Could you get worse circumstances? And let me tell you what, it, what, it, what his circumstances were. He was forcibly made a eunuch. He didn't volunteer. They took these young men, which were described in the passage I just read, and they castrated them. Did I say that right, Brother Tom? I got it right. It took me about, what, 25 years to get that word right. I'm still improving, folks. But they castrated them. And no more family. That took away all the hope of a family. No more family. That was big right there. Not only did did the, the Babylonians kill their mom and dad, probably, and kill everybody they knew all before their very eyes raped and pillaged them right in front of these boys Uh, these boys probably eh, 15 to 18 years old and took them captive castrated them, took their hope of, of reproduction away, having a family away a wife away, took away from them and then trained them to help the people that killed everybody That's big. It just about doesn't get worse than that. Um, They may have asked the question during this whole process, where is God? Where's God? Where's the mighty God that we read about in in the books of Moses? Where's the God who did the ten greatest plagues that ever, miracles that ever were recorded? Where is he in our deliverance? Well, it wasn't a time of deliverance for Israel. It was a time of judgment. Israel had sinned against God, ignored God, continually rebelled against God, and he warned them over and over through the prophets rising up early and warning. And eventually God said, it's over. I'm sending the Babylonians in to judge you, to take you captive, to kill most of you, to take the rest of you captive. And you're going to be 70 long years in captivity until I bring a handful of you, 45, six 6,000 of you, back to Jerusalem under Ezra and Nehemiah. Haggai Wow. The temple was destroyed, the city of God was destroyed. The boy was these boys were deserted, alone. Daniel was a slave. That means they're valueless really. Their life was in the hands of their master could kill them if they wanted to. And they were to do what their enemies said they were to do and they were to help their enemies. No one was concerned whether they had, whether people will say, do they have the heart of your child? Now I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm not saying as a parent, you can't do things to harm your child. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm trying to correct is the philosophy that says if you do what's right, your kids will turn out right. Because all of you know that's not true. And I'm trying to help you to be balanced in this area because the Bible over and over and over does not agree with conditioning. It agrees with personal responsibility is what it agrees with. Daniel did what? Purposed in his heart against all this massive negativity. I'm going to live for God. I believe you can come out of the worst family with a mother as a hooker and a dad as a coke addict and you can live for God. And you can turn out and God will be with you and God will honor you and God will build you up. You don't have to suck your thumb and say, I didn't get a good childhood. You don't have to have a good childhood if you'll trust God. No one was concerned about if, if Daniel had a wounded spirit. A wounded spirit who can bear? No one no one, no one really cared about the psychological makeup of Daniel. They just didn't really care much. Uh, No one gave a rip whether people had broken their promises to Daniel. I mean, we've gotten so crazy that in child rearing that people have said, well, you know, if you promised your child to take him to a baseball game and something came up and you said you couldn't do it, the child got bitter at you, turned out to be wicked, and it was your fault. I say, stop. Where was the boy's forgiveness? Did the kid never make a mistake? Did the kid never tell something he didn't do? Brother, I thought we're supposed to have a spirit of forgiveness. Everything, I think, if you if Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they were named, Shazer, had every reason to fail. They had all the reasons to be mad at God that you won. You may be in here this morning mad at God because maybe you were abused as a child or maybe you had something go with it. Maybe you didn't have a mom as a child or maybe you didn't have a dad as a child. Maybe you had uh, parents that were, like I mentioned, uh, uh, you know, uh, just bad parents and about any... Maybe you had whatever. Don't be mad at God. They Daniel had all the reasons to be depressed that you want to have. He had all the reasons... You could ask for to become a wicked individual and just go out and get drunk. But he purposed in his heart against all of the massive negativity, against the circumstances. He said, I'm not gonna go along with those circumstances. I'm not gonna let those circumstances rule me. I'm gonna purpose in my heart to trust God. I love that guy. No wonder he can't, no wonder we're talking about him some uh, 2,500 years later. It's not commonplace, I'll say, for sure. A point of explanation. As parents, we're supposed to, as born-again parents, we're supposed to provide an honest environment and a transparent environment, a a spiritual environment for our children that would, would give them every reason to prosper. We're to avoid evil and not set wicked things before them. We're to strive to be good Christians before them, to be transparent, honest, like I said. We're to do our best as a born-again believer. But when we've done all of that, they have to decide or not to decide whether to serve God or not. And I don't think parents ought to go around persecuting themselves and having their heart broken the rest of their life and having a feeling like they blew the whole thing because their child decided to serve the devil instead of God. Everybody's got to make his own decision, including your sweet thing, your child. But once you raise your child and you did what you did, they have to just make the decision, and you can't go back and change a thing. He purposed in his heart. We need to quit blaming everything else, even your failure, and take personal responsibility for what's going on. This church here at Gospel, early on when I was senior pastor, we had a number of women that came forward that had been sexually abused by their uh, grand, sometimes grandparents, uncles, maybe even by their dad. Uh, it was bad. And we, they, one of them came to me and said, I need to forgive my abuser. Oh, that's a great idea. You want to forgive your abuser? He, she said, I got to get this off of my head. This is killing me. I thought, man, let's do it. She got up in front of me. Some of you were here. Got up in front, of her, said, I want to th- forgive a, a, such and such a person who abused me as a young girl. And they say one out of four girls are, are sexually abused somehow, and it's, that's horrible. I, I don't want to believe that. But this girl said it. It released her. She said, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Sir, if you're holding bitterness towards somebody, you're not free. They're controlling you. Don't you let any, hey, Daniel had to forgive everything. He had to just say that's the way it went and then everybody, all the junk he saw, otherwise he would have been bitter and he'd been mad at God and rather purposing in his heart to love God and to serve God, he would have spent his whole life bitter at God and blaming everything around him for his own failure. You with me on that? He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the sovereignty of God the way it fell out and I'm not going to be bitter at anybody even my captors, and as you read the book of Daniel, he's not bitter. He's not bitter, bitter at Nebuchadnezzar. He's not bitter at Belshazzar even, the, the punk kid, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who had meany, meany, techo eupharisee written on the wall. They got old Daniel back there to interpret that. He said, oh, oh your kingdom's been waiting to balance and found one thing. Nebuchadnezzar was killed, uh, excuse me, Belshazzar was killed that night by Darius of the Medes and Persians. And then Darius realized who Daniel was and exalted him and, by the way, threw him in the lion's den. And after he got through the lion's den deal, he came out and he was one of the heads of the whole kingdom. That's what God will do to the person who trusts him. But we are so inundated, so so taught in every direction that circumstances, circumstances, circumstances Don't do it. Quit beating yourself up over what's past, and you cannot change. You've done everything to change it. People tell me, well, I called somebody, and I asked them to forgive me, and they wouldn't. I said, that's on them. You ask them to forgive you, it's over. That's all you can do, amen? How many here can undo anything you've ever done wrong? The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's about as much as I'm going to be able to do. I go to Jesus and say, I did it, it was wrong. The Bible says, confess your sins, he's faithful and just, forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confession seems to disagree with God. What I did was wrong. I wish I hadn't done it, but I did it. And God says, whoop, it's over. The blood of Christ cleansed you on that, and you go down the road. And we, if you don't get a grip on that, the devil will sour you. He will, he will shrivel you. And you'll not be able to work for God and live for God and be prosperous as God wants you to be. Hey, man. Bad things happen to good people. Girls get abused. Christian girls get abused. We've had missionary wives be raped. We've had two or three missionary wives get raped on the field. Gang raped. Horrible. I'm not going to say, well, if they'd have been living right for God, that wouldn't have happened. God forbid. If you say that, God forbid your wicked soul. We just can't go. I had had a a gentleman in this church years ago come to me. His two boys had gone bad. And he came to me and he said, Brother Moon caused my two boys to go bad. Brother Moon, youth director. Always blame the youth director. You, director, caused my boys to go bad, Brother Moon. And I said, how many hours are there in a week? Is there 168 hours in a week? Is that right? i do my math right on that. Is that right, people? Give me some nods here. 168 hours. Any of you mathematicians out there? Seven times 24, right? 168. Well, you give your children to us for about four hours a week. So... We're responsible for four, but you're responsible for 164. And I looked at him and I says, what happened the other 164 hours? That's probably what contributed, help, at least help. But then even after all of that, your children made a decision. The child never comes up in the formula. In other words, I hear, well, the youth director didn't do everything he should have done, probably didn't. Uh, uh, The church didn't do everything they should have done, probably didn't. Uh, the home family, mom and dad, obviously didn't do everything maybe they should have done because I've never known one to be perfect yet. And they probably didn't. But why aren't we pointing a finger at the kids and saying they didn't choose God? Why don't don't we point at him or her and say, you know, really when it comes down to it, when they stand before God, I'm not going to be there. You're not going to be there. We're not going to be there. They're going to stand before Jesus and they are going to have to answer for the deeds done in their body, whether they be good or bad. The Bible, folks, teaches personal responsibility. Get it and get it good. Now, as a, as a husband, if I knew to do good and didn't do it, it's sin to me. You with me? I'm not saying the parents don't have to answer for their deeds, right? They have to answer for their deeds. I, if my wife left me tomorrow, I couldn't tell you that it was all her. And most of you, especially women in this group, would never, ever allow that to happen because you would say, Pastor Bill, I can't even believe a woman stayed with you for 51 years. And we don't blame her a bit. You may throw a party for her. That's the truth. Oh, Kathy, I can't believe she put up with him 51 years. She's had it made. Being married to a Viking. (laughs) I hurt my shoulder right now. (laughs) I'm so bad off, I tell you what. Let's just get right about it. If Jamin left Tom Gillespie, I wouldn't blame her a bit. If Tom left Jamin, I wouldn't blame him a bit. I'd say you're both wrong. Amen? Because God's commanded them to stay married all the way to the end, and they're responsible to do it. Amen. Stay there. Work it out. Ask God to help you. And as a parent, I'm sorry that your children didn't all turn out. I'm sorry. And and we have families where every one of the kids, let me give you an example. I'll quit. I got to quit. A guy by the name of V.L. Martin. He was our first interim pastor for six months. V.L. Martin had three boys, all of them in full-time Christian service. Terry, you may have known V.L. I know you're not that old. I forgot how young you are. I keep thinking Terry's old, Terry Snow. Anyway, you hang around Jeff, that's what happens. So V.L. Martin, you know, he, was, he had three boys. They were all full-time Christian service. The epitome he, was, he would always tell me, oh, I'm so proud of my boys. I'm so proud of my boys. You know, they're all full-time Christian servants, serving God. He was 69 years old, had a bad heart, and he died of a heart attack. In the next ensuing 10 years, two of those three boys divorced their wives, went off into sin and backslid badly. I don't even know if they're right with God today. The one boy stayed their course. It's not over till it's over. I get tired of people saying, my kids turned out. Are they dead? Are they dead? I think it would be wrong for me to assume that I've turned out. He that thinketh he stand, beware lest he fall. I think it's wrong for me at 70 years old to say, hey, game over. I've made it. Woo, I get the prize. Oh no. It's not over till it's over. And it's not over till I take my last breath and God says, that's it, you finished your course, you kept the faith. You know, until then. Don't assume it. Father, help us this morning to somehow digest this truth. I don't I feel like I I didn't present it very well. I did I feel like I that what I did was a little scattered, but may may Lord you organize it as you see fit help us as earthen vessels this thing called salvation has been given us but we're not we're not adopted yet we don't have our body like unto christ yet we still got the old nature yet we still are imperfect yet we still fail help us Help us to have a good balance on all of that, personal choice. And Father, may today this comfort someone, encourage someone, strengthen someone that's been struggling in this area. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida.